The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. Well, I've been, uh, I'm the uh, fourth of what we call the ancient messages. And I couldn't help but decide that I was going to start off with an ancient message joke, right? So there's these two old guys, and they're there with their wives, you know, and they're talking about this and talking about that. And so the, the one guy says to the other guy, says, hey, Rufus, what's the name of that flower that's red and it's got thorns going up the stem? And Rufus says, well, that's a rose. He said, well, Rose, what's the name of that restaurant we've been eating at over on the other side of town? That was his wife. That was supposed to be funny. Rose. It was his wife. Okay. So much for that. I get... Hey. All right. Okay, guys. So I want you to know up front, I am not a gardener. In fact, I'm quite contrary but in my life, I've met quite a few of them. I got their opportunities, Heinrichs's, they, they, and they grow stuff without even working it. No, I think they work at it. That's the key. But, um, but you know, I've been a fan of theirs for a long time, um, especially with Melinda Cooks, and that's always a good thing. I was out to see the Dickersons. Everybody say hi to Becca and Nicholas. They... They're from Kansas State, so you know, you know that they know something about gardening, amen? And uh, so on. So thanks to them, I was able to discover more about gardening. Metamorphosis is, is quite an interesting phenomenon. And um, uh, I, uh, I say I'm kind of familiar with weeds, um, my gardening life taught me a lot. I thought I should write a book about what not to do to have a fruitful garden. But a few years ago, I discovered these wonderful perennial, is that right, Becca? Perennial? Yeah. Perennial vegetation called milkweed. It grew in our yard when I bought my house but my sister-in-law opened my eyes to the wonder of a monarch butterfly. Like the video would show, the eggs hatch a caterpillar who eats and eats the milkweed, its chosen food. He eats a lot until all at once he attaches himself to the stem or the leaf of the milkweed. And great for this, young people. This is your part. You get to go, ooh, ah, ready? He eats himself to death. Ooh, no. Well, that's really what happens, though. When you see, when you see that caterpillar start to pull that cocoon over, over, over his head, and then there's a period of time where it's shaking, it's moving around. The reality is, during that time, the caterpillar is actually eating himself to, to death. 
And he is, his, he is actually liquefied in that cocoon. The cocoon sits mo motionless with mo mo no motion over a period of days. It'll darken in color because of time-lapse th photography. You got to see it happen all at once. But until all at once he breaks himself loose, he spreads his wings, and boom, he's a beautiful monarch butterfly. They call this process metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is defined as change of physical form, structure, or substance, especially by supernatural means, a striking alteration in appearance, character, or circumstances. The word metamorpho is in the Bible. In fact, it's the root word. It's found in Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, metamorpho, it be changed by the renewing of your mind. Then the word then comes. And so, so there's a process that happens and it continues. By the way, can I get a big amen from all the ancients? It never stops. It never stops because the more I look at God's word and the more that I allow him to breathe in me and breathe on me, it never stops. If you've been, Jim, this is your moment. If you're 90 years old, <laughs> truce, okay. I let him speak first so he couldn't talk about my adolescence, but... Um, if you're 90 years old, if you're 100 years old and you're still looking at the Word of God, God is going to use that Word to prove what His good, pleasing, and acceptable will is all about. It's an ongoing thing. But like this morning, even in my devotional, I think in the Galatians 2.20, it's no longer the idol that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. And the, 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 the life that I let now live, I live for the Son of God. There's a change. And, and in one way, it's a lifelong change, which it is, but it's also a day-by-day -day change. I love this video because except for when they change big groups of time, you just can't see anything changing. If Who's done monarch butterflies in a jar? I'm the only one. Very good to hear. No, there's several of us that have done that. And it's just amazing. Young people. Next spring or in the early summer, when you see a milkweed like one of these, by the way, these are, these are vintage. These are grown by true farmers. This would be farmers from Kansas State University. And believe me, they know weeds down there. So anyway, sorry, guys. And so, um, but do that. Go, go look and find a, a milkweed and then look under the leaf and you'll see these tiny little spots that'll be there. And if you take and you break it off and you put it in a jar and leave a little air in there and you'll see that these spots will grow 
and they'll become a caterpillar. And then the caterpillar will eat and eat and eat and eat, and then it'll cocoon, and then he comes out as a butterfly, and there's not one film, not one uh, uh, picture, not one snapshot in the whole process that you could ever say, yep, that's when he's doing this. Because it is such a it is such an ongoing process, but in the end, there's something really different. Metamorphosis is about changing our thinking, our life into his life. Jesus compares his father to a gardener many times. It seems that God saw the need for meta- metamorphosis in our lives. And in the same way that Jesus came to give us the kingdom of God and heaven, according to Matthew, I believe that he cared about it flourishing in our lives. He sent his Holy Spirit to guide us to know him. He said the Holy Spirit will bring you into all truth. Who wants all truth? Will we ever know as much as God? No, but we'll, have, we'll, but we'll continue to grow in the knowledge of him, not just in our head, but in our heart, knowing that he is, he is the dream giver and he's the dream maker. Amen? He, um, he's, uh, he gave us his word for all. You may say, well, I don't read real good. I don't do it. It's okay. It's all right. It's okay. You know what? I'd rather have one morsel of truth of God's Word than all the human wisdom in the whole world. The the wisdom of God is so much higher than the wisdom of man. Amen? Okay. Well, a few months ago, this is how it kind of came about in my life, but let me me say one more thing, two things, because this is on my mind. Uh, Jesus said this, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in you. If Carrie, you made, wow, that's awesome. You made that choice to put the kingdom of God in you, you know, and and Jesus came in, brought the Holy Spirit, and you've been growing and you've been doing whatever, but all of a sudden you said, I want, I want to be, I want to put myself down and I want to see him. I want to see him. I want to see his growth truly in me. And the Holy Spirit comes to bring us to all that truth, okay? But it's a it's a it's a process that came at the point of salvation. And yet, little by little, if we put the word of God in, we know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The other point I wanted to make means Kayla, is she in here? No. Yeah, I'll embarrass her. I knew she was called for missions. And year 2000, she and a bunch of other whacked out kids from Wichita went on a mission trip. And I was fortunate enough to be an adult overseer. Who would who in this room would hire me to oversee anything? <laughs> okay, case point. Okay, and I believe we were in... We wasn't supposed to go there, but we went to Thailand. We went to um, a town in Thailand that I can't think of right now. That's all right. And uh, 
and the kids went out and they did whatever. And here comes Kayla back at the end of the day with no shoes on. No shoes on. No shoes. And you know, young people usually have one pair of shoes or whatever. Kayla, where's your shoes? I gave them away. And literally the rest of that trip, for most of the trip, she went around with no shoes on because she gave, because her heart broke for the lost and her heart broke for, for uh, God's mission. So a few months ago, I was in my devotions, I was reading my Bible, and I, I kept seeing this, pro, this thing happen over and over and over again. And uh, it, was, it was, I kept seeing Jesus locking horns with the Pharisees. And I started thinking a lot about them, and I started studying about them. Where did they come from? Who appointed them? When did they come into prominence? What motivated them? I began a study in the Bible verse by verse, and I found that in 87 mentions of the Pharisees in the Bible, that they are almost directly in conflict with what Jesus was doing. Then I thought about, well, where did they come from? Well, through studying history and some different things, Josephus, extra biblical literature, I found that it is thought that about two, two to 300 BC, this sect came into play. Now, I want to tell you something else that's happened at the same time. When the, the age of the... Now, by the way, this is close, okay? So, yeah, I get it. Um, so, the age of the prophets, you know, all those guys, Isaiah, all those guys come through life. And guys like... And then it, it, the Old Testament ends with Malachi. Or for my Italian friend, where's he at? There he is. Malachi, right? That's right. Us, um, but anyway, Malachi prophesies, and then you see this long period of time where nothing's really going on. And you don't really realize it until you look in, like in the book of John, where it talks about Zacharias. He's a priest, and he's still going into the temple and doing his duty, and he's still a zealot for God's kingdom. He's still a man of integrity. But during this quiet time, if human beings, if God is silent, what is it possible that human beings would do? Maybe start making up their own story. You know, I mean, if you tell me a story today, I'll embellish it by tomorrow to where you won't even be able to, you won't even be able to recognize it, you know. But see, in the, in the quiet of time, this group of zealots called the Pharisees, that they, they start, they start really um, uh, majoring on the issue of an of oral interpretation of, of of the story of God, the oral interpretation. Now, um, if if the law is there, we have the Ten Commandments, and they're on stone. Well, it's pretty evident what it said. But little by little, they took the words of the of, of the lawgiver, and they took the words of the prophets, and whatever, and they and they. Uh, they they made themselves they appointed themselves as as guardians of the oral tradition of the word and little by little possibly i don't know pride entered into it in fact we find that in their lives um that they not only they they not only emphasized the 
the oral tradition, but they also extended some of those Jewish practices even outside the temple. Now, there's a part of that that's good because the temple is destroyed in 70 AD, and when the temple was destroyed, then, you know, they really had nowhere to turn to. But, but they took and they, they, um, they uh, took oral tradition, and not only to, uh, to a small degree, but they took it to a large degree, emphasizing... Um, instilling greater piety, more legalism in the common people. They promoted belief in the afterlife. Now, that's good because the afterlife, they, they, there's also a group called the Sadducees, and they didn't believe in, in the afterlife, but, but, but the Pharisees did. So they, they, had, they were right about that and, uh, and so on. Um, in most historical constructions of Jewish society, the categories used to describe these groups, such as a sect, school, upper class, later leadership, are ill-defined and misused and overall structural and functioning of society. Listen to this. The proliferation of hypothesis about the Pharisees show how Poorly, they were understood. Their role in the culture was ambiguous, to say the, to say the least. But a major role that they had was to pass on um, the moral, the um, pass on the oral tradition. Now, remember, there's five or six hundred years of quiet here. But I believe through that silence, just like when Moses came down from the mountain and found the people worshiping a golden calf and then waiting for them as they passed the oral tradition, that they strained gnats and little by little they made it more and more. Got it here, Sean. Got the Kleenex. There you go. Yeah, the uh, uh, more and more difficult to know God. Matthew, if you want to see a really uh, open-eyed. Uh, uh, confession of Jesus and the Pharisees. Read Matthew 23. It's just, just amazing. And little by little, they made it more and more and more difficult to know God. All passed along a in a stream of oral tradition. We're going to look at Matthew, excuse me, we're going to look at Mark 7th chapter today. We'll start at verse 6. Jesus said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips and their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are pur purely human rules. You have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But, I, but you say that if anyone declares that what he might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, 
then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the Word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. This is the last uh, verse of 13. This one just always sticks with me. And Jesus says, and you do many things like that. You see, Jesus came to draw everyone to himself, to restore his eternal desire for relationship with his creation. And yet every time he demonstrated the love and the compassion of his father, here are these zealots speaking contrary to what he came to do. Jesus came to save sinners they and their oral tradition seemed only to make it impossible to come to him. And it seems that they always did stuff like that. You know, um, I looked at all 87 verses, and I'm not saying everyone is the worst, but I think you could kind of liken what Jesus was doing. Nicholas, is this, is this a bug sprayer? Is this pest repellent? Maybe, I don't know. But what Jesus did, what Jesus came to do, and, and I believe it's why it's, I mean, th- this is the Robin version. Don't, 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 don't shoot me. But Jesus come along Because here's this whole group of people that is telling people how hard it is to please God. No, you can't eat with dirty, with hands that are unwashed. You can't, uh, you can't eat uh, the bread from the temple. You can't do this and you can't do that. And it was all oral tradition. And these people were continually saying to him, you can't do this. That's why Jesus had to talk to them the way he talked to them. When there was untruth, Jesus spoke truth. I'm not telling you that he disliked them. But I'm telling you, when their message is directly contrary to what Jesus came to do, that it's a big deal. Amen? And so, in gardening uh, terms, Jesus seemed to be doing pest control. It was a constant battle. And as it continued... The Pharisees were major players of manipulation. Listen, it wasn't just about the people now. It was also about manipulating governments. It was about manipulating political people. I mean, we, we have a stewardship for our culture. We can't just close our eyes and expect ungodly people to make right things. So we have to, we have to affect them. But at the same time, we don't use emotionalism and pharisaical thinking to rally them 
against other people of God. They said to Jesus, they said, hey, these guys are, are casting out demons in your name and they're not one of us. What does he say? He says, shut up. Yeah. Well, I don't think that was exact words, but it was something like that. Jesus said, if they're not against me, they're going to be for me. I mean, that seems pretty milkweedish. I mean, pretty, pretty soft-spoken, right? Who ever, ever had toast with milk poured on it for breakfast? You know, and it turns to mush like real quick. That's kind of like one of those meals, you know, there's no way your stomach won't like it. Tina, try that. Okay. So, so he, he used the pest control. He used to, his words, their words would say, God wants you to, to shape up or ship out. And his words said, God loves you. He has compassion on you. He says, go and sin no more. He says, to go walk and love other people. They asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandments? Love God. That's, pretty, that's a pretty easy first one. Pharisees would have had 30 second ones. His was love your neighbor as yourself. The scripture says narrow is the way that leads to life and, and only a few find it. But wide is the way that leads to destruction and many therein go. There's a, there's a small door. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through him. My granddaughter, Ellie, got baptized today. I'm so proud of her, you know, and I, I see that, that God is doing already in her this, 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 this change of life because he said he would, because the Holy Spirit is inside of her. Ellie, I'm done embarrassing you for the day. I'm going to pick on Carrie now. It's okay. So, um, so the, the, the thought is that I believe there's one more story that I want to share out of the Bible. And it's also a story of a, of a Pharisee. This guy's name was Nicodemus. It says in John, the third chapter, it says that he came to Jesus by night. He was a member. He was, he was a member of the Pharisees. And I believe the ruling council, he was kind of a sort of a slash politician sort of guy too. He came to Jesus in the night. Why did he come in the night? He didn't want people to know what he was doing, right? And uh, Jesus, he said to him, he said, you're Israel's, he said, what, how can this be? He said, nobody, no, uh, no one could do what you're doing except God was with him. So he's got this group of people saying, we got to snuff this guy out. His followers are doing all this stuff. And, and, and we got this problem going on here. And Jesus says, and Nicodemus says, nobody could do the stuff you're doing, but God's with him. And he said, Jesus said this. He said, unless a man, unless one is born again, they will never see the kingdom of God. That's metamorphosis. That's, that's metamorphosis. 
You see, because like uh, Galatians 2.20, it's not I that live. I mean, we have to, we all come to that point. I mean, at the end of my rope, when I, when I have no more rope to hold on to, I asked, I asked Jesus to come into my life and he, and he came into my life and he, um, he gave me his life and, and I died. I didn't die overnight because guys, there was a lot of me that had to be I mean, there was, there was some, you know, some stuff that needed to be gotten rid of. But little by little, we die, and Jesus lives in us more and more and more. If, you, if, if you're in a discipling relationship, let me tell you why the person comes to you regular and says, Brother, are, are you staying in the Word? Are you, are, you, are you in the Word? You know, it's not like, are you praying three hours a day? Are you doing this stuff? No, he's just asking you, are you giving yourself enough, enough milkweed that the Holy Spirit can use in us and grow us to be complete? Are you, are you in the word? Are you allowing this to change you? Here's where all this is going to, and I'm not going to necessarily look at my notes because I see the time where we're at, and we're good. We're good. Then later on, there was this guy named Saul. Saul was a bad dude. He was all the time going out, and he was um, uh, he was persecuting Christians. He, when Stephen was there and gave maybe the, the, the most beautiful ex, exhort, uh, most beautiful uh, historical picture of the people of uh, the Jewish people and, and what they did to Christ. I mean, Acts 7 is one of the great, great chapters in the Bible. In fact, Stephen was so good that when he got done giving his speech, it says he looked up to heaven and he saw Jesus sitting at the right hand, standing on his tiptoes at the right hand of God and because he, he saw that what he said moved him so much. And yet Saul says he sat there and it didn't faze him a bit. We don't know, but nothing happened. And so it was just after that, it was just after that that he, um, that he's going to, he got some orders to go to Damascus, you know, and, and persecute some more Christians, do whatever you're doing. And he's going along and this light flashes around him and he, and all of a sudden he's blind. He can't see nothing. He's on the ground. He doesn't know what to do. And he said, God, what's going on? And Jesus said, Saul, it's me, Jesus, that you're persecuting. And so he goes into the town. A guy named Ananias comes and prays over Paul. And something like scales fall from his eyes. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Something like scales fall from his eyes. And his life has changed. Because he recognizes the Messiah, the one who came to bring God's people to him. 
And as we look at this in retrospect, we have our Bibles here, Bible here, but more books in the New Testament are written by Saul than, than written by anybody. And in fact, I think it's really amazing that God, that Jesus comes and he, he uses his weed killer so much to knock down the oral tradition, but then he uses, he, he calls this guy named Saul and, and draws him. He changes him. He changes him. And he became the most effective passer of truth our world has probably ever known. Or we call them epistles. But he was, he was, not, he was not just a storyteller of the epistles, but he, was, he, was, he knew the law. He knew, he just didn't recognize Jesus, this one who was calling him. It's an amazing story. Just think about that. Jesus, you know, battles against Pharisees and against Pharisees, but after the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he comes back and he, he chooses a Pharisee to be a spoke, spokesman to the Gentiles. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty amazing. As I thought about this, I thought to myself, I thought, well, what's, what's the message? What's the message about, about this that really seems to make some sense? I thought, what's in this for, for, cross, for linking crossroads? Let me go back a step. I work as an on-call supervisor in the People's City Mission. If I took a poll and I asked you guys, I said, what kind of clothes have you seen me wear the most? Um, it wouldn't be because I'm a fashion icon. It's because I got more Jesus shirts than anybody. <laughs> Hands down, okay? And my job at the People's City Mission is to serve homeless people. And a few weeks ago, I got called in and I had to do a, a three out of four day shift. And the first day I went in with my Jesus shirt on, I went in with my Jesus shirt on and I, um, I was full of the Holy Spirit. And I, I was loving people and I was, I was doing what it took to tell them about how much God loved them, how much he cared for them and, and all this sort of stuff. And I made it through the first day. This, by the way, these are 12 hour shifts, so don't try this at home. And so the second day, I went in again. Still got my, I got another Jesus shirt on. By the end of that day, my love had run out. And the love in my countenance, there was nothing left. And in my heart, I could say, I hate these people. I didn't, guys, but I'm just saying all the love, all the grace that I could fill up in the morning was more than enough. I couldn't do it. And I looked at myself the next day when I got up and I thought to myself, you're just like a Pharisee. You put a smile on. You, 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 you try to love somebody. They see that Jesus across there, and all that does is make you a target for the enemy to shoot at, right? 
And it broke my heart because I realized that it takes a lot more than human love to love people to, to, to a right relationship. I put on another shirt that day just because I had to, it had to be a message to me. He said, just lay it down. Okay, I'm not saying I didn't. I mean, Jesus shirts are fine, but you know what? If your Jesus shirt is blaring in somebody's face and your countenance is judgmental and nasty and gross to people, then you're better off to wear a, 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 a potato sack. They know. What about crossroads? Guys, I'm encouraging you today. I love, man, there are so many people here I've gotten to know. I love them. It's amazing. Um, but could we be a people that makes it, that, that develops a culture that makes it natural and easy for people to grow in a true relationship with Christ that we don't judge people. Do we think sin is good? No, sin is not good. And I'm going to try to change my culture where I can, but when it comes to loving people that I am going to make, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make it so that it makes it easy to grow. When I put my expectations on you, all of a sudden you're serving me and not serving Christ. If you have the word of God in you, he'll speak. The Holy Spirit will work with you. All it depends on us doing is to love one another and to continue to love and continue to sow seeds of love and compassion and, and grace. Sean, a few weeks ago, oh, I'm at 136. Oh, yeah. I'm doing good. Um, a few weeks ago, I think maybe with a, oh, I don't know, some eating or something, you talked about the three-legged stool. Three-legged stool, the one leg is to love. The one leg is to know. And the third leg is to challenge and oh, that we could be a congregation and a place in our culture that people can come and they can be loved and they can be known and they can be challenged because we don't, we don't judge people. We love people. Thank you. The Pharisees, the Pharisees had no idea what that was. The Bible says several times in those scriptures that they looked at him intently. That's like I looked at those guys that day in the mission when I was when I had run out of gas. I looked intently. But Jesus also intently looked at a guy named Peter who had just denied him three times. And he loved Peter. He loved him in spite of in spite of being prophesied over that you're going to do this, but he, can, he did it anyway.
That's the kind of congregation, that's the kind of culture that flourishes metamorphosis in our life. And friend, you have an opportunity today to just be part of that. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.